Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today is the last episode of 2022 before we break for Christmas. If you've been listening to our show this past year, I want to say thank you for tuning in and your support. To round things off for what's been a challenging year, we'll be talking about understanding ourselves better and setting ourselves up for success next year. We're joined by the award-winning freelance journalist Drew Shah, who last year took the hard decision to leave the relative comfort of the BBC staff role after nearly 14 years and pursue her career as a writer, consultant, coach and public speaker. The message is loud and clear today. We are in charge of our own career paths and no one else is going to do the heavy lifting for us. Add to that, the right move might be a risky one. However, journalists are a tribe and people are often willing to lend a hand if they can. Stay tuned for tips on how to weigh up your strengths and weaknesses, something many of us dread when thinking up career plans and finding the confidence to shout about your achievements and ask for help. Two essential ingredients to success. And if all of that sounds a touch out of your comfort zone, good. If you want to be successful, you need to be loud and proud. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Druti, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. From the outside looking in, Druti, you give off an aura of professionalism with the things you post and you're quite an inspirational person. But I know that a little known fact about you is that uh, the truth is um, in the kitchen, you're prone to a few disasters. Yeah, I, I've burnt spaghetti to the point that you turn around and it's actually on fire. And I don't even I don't even understand how this happens. Sometimes people say to me, you've managed to defy physics. And I'm like, that's not a good thing. So, yeah, I I might come across as being OK at some stuff, but other stuff I'm completely ridiculously awful at. Is the spaghetti a true story? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> like, literally, I'm banned from touching spaghetti. <laughs> Are you banned from the kitchen now? pretty much yes yes I have <laughs> but if it helps like whenever people have had like bake-offs or, or, or whatever like I'm there to provide eating purposes so I play a valuable contribution when it comes to consuming goods but when it comes to creating goods for someone who's supposed to be so super creative yeah I, I leave it to the experts but this is deliberate, right? Not not in terms of like the disasters in the kitchen, but in terms of um, <laughs> just owning your mistakes, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody's perfect. I definitely am not perfect. And when it comes to mistakes, I make them all the time. Like, you know, I do keep trying all the time, but there are some things that you have to think you you need to stop now. This is dangerous for you. This is dangerous for maybe the people that w- that want to eat. Um, but yes, no, I make a lot of mistakes and I do own up to them because I want people to realise that it's okay to do things not ideally, to to keep making mistakes and experiment and explore as, as you try and pursue a path in life. I don't know if that's what you're supposed to do, but it's what I try and do. And, you know, does it always work out? No. Am I going to still do it? Probably. There's there's a wider resonance to all of this, which is that at the moment we live our lives so much on social media and we want, we want to give off this impression that we're doing all the right things. We're moving in the right direction with our careers. We're doing all of these amazing pieces of work and journalism. Um, but, you know, underneath it all, we do have these maybe insecurities and things we're not so good at and things we'd like to improve in our lives. And it, it's it's a telling time, isn't it, really, as we approach the end of the year. You know, hopefully what we'll explore today is, 
um, a bit of soul searching, a bit of understanding ourselves, our strengths and weaknesses and how we can maybe plan ourselves accordingly. I think that's a really good point in that, you know, I, I've spent a lot of my time, especially in the journalism sphere, on the, on the social beat, in the social world. And if I'm perfectly frank with you, and maybe this, this will cause issues in the future work-wise, but I have this love-hate relationship with social media because on one hand, it is amazing. And yes, you've, it's got the power to do lots of good stuff and, and change people's lives and, and build networks and communities. But it's also a place where you have toxicity, you have damage, where people compare their lives, as you say, with others. And, and that's not necessarily healthy because each of us have our own path, whatever our path may be. And also it feels like on the social world, perhaps because there is that screen, you know, people are mean, meaner than perhaps they would be face to face. And that's not great, if I'm perfectly frank with you. You know, that's not great at all. I want you to stay with me for this question because uh, I want to continue the thought process of strengths and weaknesses for a second. Besides spaghetti and cooking, what else are you not very good at in, in terms of uh, a, a, in, in your professional skill set? If I'm perfectly frank with you, I am actually afraid of everything. I actually do live in perpetual fear and I've had to come up with coping mechanisms of being able to move past that anxiety and fear to be able to do things. For someone who has a reputation, who completely understands how to navigate a, a digital world... I always have this degree of trepidation when it comes to recording. Even now, before you know, we were recording this podcast, I'd be like, oh gosh, make sure that I haven't broken the laptop in some way. Make sure that I'm pressing the right buttons. Like it's that element of, I don't want to break stuff. Make sure I don't break you, you know, whatever it is you're doing, even though I've got no control over it. Um, so that isn't great. But at the same time, it's like, do you know what? You just have to keep going. I, I want to do this. I want to record this. I want to speak to you. And, and that's really, really key but sometimes it, it can be a little bit of a hindrance because you know maybe I overthink instead of just doing. The, the point I was trying to reach is that in a world where we are pressured to be perfect as we were speaking about what should we do with the things that we're not so good at that maybe we do want to work with our weaknesses the things we want to work with what's your what's your opinion on that? Get cheerleaders honestly that would be my top thing like as well as try and you know just do like you know stop thinking just do take the action but also get cheerleaders get people who support you. If you say to them, do you know what? I'm a little bit concerned about this element of recording. As I said, this is, you know, this technical thing. Well, do you need to know all of the technical elements or do you need to actually just be more okay with the editorial elements? You know, I actually have friends, fair play to them, where when I was doing some auditions earlier in the year, which didn't quite work out, but I messaged them and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to be able to do this. Um, I need to be able to find space where I can record this. But I don't, you know, I live in a tiny house. I can't actually afford to go out and get a studio right now, especially as, as a freelancer. And to do that for an audition, you know, that's a real investment, especially when you don't even know if it's going to work out. But I was really lucky in that I had uh, friends who, who work more in the radio sphere and fair play to them. They listened to my audition tapes. They, you know, check things out. One of them even sent me a microphone in the post. So having those cheerleaders, whatever it is that you're doing in terms of whatever field that you're in, even within the journalism industry, I honestly think helps keep people that have trepidation, we all have some sort of trepidation, to be able to move forward. Yeah. How do you get cheerleaders? Oh, I'm shameless. I literally just ask for help now. I'm like, I need help. But also, I think I go through periods where I'm quite melancholic, where I'm quite, you know, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, is this working out? You know, am I really as, as good as everyone thinks I am? Like, I go through that in the same way that a lot of people go through, whatever stage we're in. And in terms of getting cheerleaders, 
I realized more recently that actually I'm very lucky in that I've managed to build a community and maybe I think it is actually quite deliberate of people who are across many different platforms who are actually quite kind and caring and when I reach out and just say look actually I need a bit of help they will step up and I hope that's because when they ask me for help I try and reciprocate. I try and do the same thing. I know what it's like to be quite lonely in our industry. You know, journalism, it's a lot of it's about observation. It's a lot of it's about sort of standing on the periphery. And a lot of it, I mean, you know, if you're writing something, and I'm really a writer when it comes down to it, often you're doing that by yourself. So building cheerleaders is often about communication and dialogue and, and finding like-minded people that you know will have your back. From the shade then perhaps to the lights, uh, I'd like to speak about strengths as well. And is it just me or is speaking about our strengths also quite uncomfortable? Oh, incredibly uncomfortable. It's like, it's really important to have hubris, but at the same time, you've got to take ownership of what you're good at or what you could be good at or where you want to be. And I think that's really super important, partly, again, because I also come from a verification background. So lots and lots of different fingers and lots of different pies, but it's for the record books. You know, it's it's literally like, hold on a minute. I did that. I played a cog in that article and I shouldn't be erased because actually that could lead to something else. This is something you do find that a lot of people, they shout, you know, they get attention, which is great. And th- that means they then get put on radar, which is also great. But what about the people that are perhaps more introverted or perhaps a bit like, oh, you know, it's nothing actually whatever role that you play in something that ends up being published or broadcast or put out somewhere that's really important going back to what we were saying about sort of the social world the social world is a good place in which to say that was me Mm. I found that person I found that person so that person could then end up being on air but I also was the person that negotiated with them was the first person that engaged the first person that they would trust in order to be able to tell their story so then I could pass them on to you know if I was a producer to a correspondent or to you know to an editor so when it comes to strengths the things I know that I'm good at I will tell people I'm good at that but I also understand that you know the world evolves and we have to be able to accept that what might be a strength at one point will need constant mastering and will need constant attention in, in order for it to remain a strength was there a moment for you when it became easier to speak about your strengths? Like, was there a light switch moment at all? There was a moment when it became easier for me to talk about the strengths. On one hand, it was a bit embarrassing. On the other hand, it was really flattering. When I would have other journalists come to me and be like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm so glad that you did that. I'm so glad that you told people it was you that found this person. I'm so glad that you have no shame about telling people about the work that you've done because it makes it feel like it's normal and I'm like you have to tell people because who else is going to tell people about what you've done you know at the end of the day you'll publish something and it'll go out and that's it right and again unless you already have like thousands of followers or whatever or whatever on whatever social platform and it'll pick up traction it might easily get mislaid and you might have spent months working on that or been thinking about that for a long time. I, had, I remember having this young Asian journalist, actually, she came up to me. She's like, oh, my gosh, you're dreaming. I'm like, oh, God, what have I done now? But she was like, you know, I've seen it. And I was like, oh, God, now what? But she was like, you know, I saw that piece that you did about brand girls taking over Instagram, you know, and that made me think that actually I want to go and do a piece about another potential tribe in the social sphere. And for me, I was like, oh, gosh, 
I can't sit there being shy about what I'm working on or shy about my achievements because in the same way that others paved the way for me, I have to keep paving the way for others and anyone behind us has to do the same thing. It's interesting, very, very interesting how you need cheerleaders to back you up for your weaknesses, but you also need to be your own cheerleader to support your strengths. Yes, actually, it's really important. And I'm glad you raised that because another sort of light bulb moment for me, and I really hope that, you know, the listeners take this away, is that idea of sponsorship. In journalism, you cannot, and I stress this because it took me a long time to understand this, you cannot actually get far in your career without a degree of sponsorship. And by that, I mean people putting your name forward when you're not there. And, you know, we work in an industry that has got challenges when it comes to privilege and connections and where people are are coming from. But even me, with the experience that I have, I still need sponsors. I still need people to say, do you know what? You should get Druti on board. She's really good at investigations. She can go and find anybody through like stalking their digital footprints or whatever. But, you know, she can find someone. Or me saying, actually, do you know what? This isn't right for me. I'm not the right person that can work on this or that could potentially write this or be the producer for this. But you know who who is good? You know, Jacob. Jacob is the one that you need to speak to because Jacob has those experiences. You want to talk to somebody who completely understands the journalism sphere, who's been immersed in it or who wants to head into this direction? Have a chat with Jacob. And that's where sponsorship, bringing those people on radar, being the person to put someone forward is so, so key. Let's recap some of those key ideas. We need cheerleaders both to fight our corner and talk us up in the rooms we're not in. We need them at our low points, like when we're minimising our contributions and feeling stuck in a rut, as well as at our high points when we are doing well and need to be shouted about from the rooftops. We are responsible for our own journey, the fields we want to enter and the companies we want to work for. But there is no shame in asking for help. In fact, it's advisable that we do seek help along the way. Successful people stand on the shoulders of other successful people. Druti was at a career crossroads last year and eventually took the decision to leave the BBC after nearly 14 years in different reporting, producer, social media and training roles. She then went on a short career break to rediscover herself and soon after started writing books, doing public speaking and moderating panels, plus coaching and consultancy work. We'll chat next about the risk involved with leaving the relative comfort of a staff role and pivoting to a new career. Druti says that this was a breakthrough moment when she needed her cheerleaders the most. I knew I was a good journalist. I knew I could try different things, but I also knew that journalism itself is evolving quite significantly. And I wanted to take ownership of the fact that I'm no longer purely a journalist in my identity. Like I do other things. And by playing in other spheres, I think it's making my journalism a lot stronger. So for example, like I've had quite a few poems published in the last year. And I've realised that You can do hardcore news, you can do hardcore stories, but unless you incorporate play and different ways of getting your brain to think in a creative way, you are going to get really broken potentially and burnt out. Like I was super burnt out. I know that I'm now equipped in the future if I fall back into a more journalism centric universe that I will be 
less likely to get burnt out because it's not just my full identity anymore. To leave the BBC and pursue your own identity feels must have felt like to you at the time, you know, a risk and a professional risk, or perhaps. Can you can you take me back there and you know what was going through your head and maybe some of the advice you were hearing at the time to take that decision? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I'm still sort of processing it. I'd been at the BBC for 14 years. Bearing in mind that I also had a career before the BBC. That's the other thing that I think is important to factor in. I, I started in local newspapers, it's where I first came across journalism.co.uk. To leave, it was a huge decision, but I'd reached a point where as much as I love the organization and I think it does an amazing job in terms of public service and and public sector broadcasting there are significant challenges and as a woman of color I I had to factor that in and I think I did the best job that I could do you know I broke records I broke digital records I was in Washington DC as the social news writer Um, I know that my journalism changed people's lives but with the way that the industry is evolving I wanted to return back to being Drusy who wasn't just reliant on an institution as my identity. And that's where I was coming to. And it was a risk. And I spoke significantly to my family about it. I spoke to friends. I spoke to professional peers about it. I spoke to editors. Some people like, are you sure this is the best decision? Are you sure, you know, we're heading towards very tough economic times. My earnings have dropped considerably I'll be honest with you the freelance world is a wild west world in terms of my mental health I'm in a much better position to perhaps where I was a few years ago and feeling a little bit like is this it is this what I am now so I've taken a risk we talked earlier about mistakes we talked earlier about you know sort of strengths I live a life of having no regrets, whatever decision that I take. And I think that comes from all the stories that I've done. One of the things that crystallized my decision for me was that towards the end of my time at the BBC, I was part of a very, very small team. And, you know, our, we were doing pandemic storytelling. And it involved talking to relatives of the deceased. That that was what I'd be doing for 10 hours at a time. And listening to to those people and and bearing in mind you know I had been trained in in writing obituaries and tributes it just made me think a lot about what I wanted my legacy to be and how short life is but I will say something I mean one thing I have learned is and this again I hope is useful for if anybody's going through this stage this transition stage this chrysalis stage um is that we as journalists we have lots of transferable skills and just because you're doing other things, like in terms of different types of storytelling, it doesn't mean that you've shed your identity as a journalist. It just means it's evolving. Mm, 100%. A lot. What gave you the confidence to make that decision, Druti, honestly? My family. Mm. If you want a really simple idea, my family have always supported whatever I've done. Like, even if they're like, this is not a conventional path. Um, from the day I wanted to become a journalist, I was eight years old. I was watching news round, I think. Um, but which is amazing. <laughs> but I, like I said, I didn't have any contacts. We didn't come from a connected family in that respect. There wasn't any journalists that I knew. Even when I first got my job at the BBC, and okay, nobody else knows this. And I was doing night shifts for the first time, and there were safety considerations because you know it's it's night or whatever. Um, my dad would take me to the you know I didn't have a car at that point my dad would take me to the to TVC and he'd come pick me up in the morning so when it came to a point where I was like I need to figure out what else to do with my life 
I was able to take that risk because my family believed in me and supported me. And I think, though, that's really important to say in our journalism careers, it's hard to get on, especially if you're, you're a writer without the support network like that. I wouldn't have been able to take that risk if I knew I didn't have my family backing me. And so I acknowledge that. And I know that lots of other people are in that same field. And to be honest with you, as a family, and I feel a little bit embarrassed to say this, but, you know, we talked earlier about being authentic. We've all tightened our belts. We're all trying to support each other. And to be honest with you, yeah, I need to sort my situation out. I need to make sure that I get paid what I'm worth for things. But I'm super grateful that I have that support network that I can rely on and have helped me in this time. Druti, what that makes me think, I've been thinking about this lately. I, I hate sitting down and doing those like career plans where you've got the grid and you think, oh, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and where does it align? Am I alone in that? Or is that something you feel as well? Or, you know, how have you dealt with that question? I think the pandemic definitely upended a lot of things, right? In terms of being like, well, what else can we do? But also our industry has evolved significantly. So how can you say, I want to achieve this when you don't even know what jobs are around, when you don't even know what things are going to change into? You know, if there was like a, a plan to be like, I'm going to, to to get into digital news gathering, that never happened. Do you know what I mean? I, I couldn't have had that plan. I fell into that. In terms of what I want to achieve, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that I want to achieve, how I'm going to get there. Lordy knows. I want to be working with people that rate what I do, that recognize what I do and find it valuable. And I want to get fairly paid. That's literally my goal. And that means that there's enough breadth and depth for it to be chameleon-like. Mm-hmm. I hear you. You can't have a plan. How can you have a plan right now? We don't even know what's going to happen in the next year. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like survival, let alone be like, I'm going to be the editor of whatever. So with, with that said, Judy, I mean, you, you you told me this before we jumped on the podcast, but that, you know, there was a situation in the past where, you know, your editor didn't really know what to do with you uh, in terms of in, in the newsroom. And, and given what we've just said there about the, frankly, infinite possibilities of what we can do in journalism, what would you go back and tell yourself then, you know, in terms of your own career vision, what to do with yourself, where to go, what to apply your time and, and effort on? You know, what would you go back and tell yourself in that situation with all the hindsight you have now? You know, that's a really good question, Jacob. Um, yeah, my editor said to me, like, I honestly don't understand your career path. And this was before now when everybody does lots of different things. So at the point in time, you know, I'd gone to Panorama. I was doing undercover investigations. I was, you know, writing. I was incorporating lots and lots of different elements in fact you know because I've, I've, I've got this book out right it's been out for a while but we unfortunately we couldn't include this animal in the book it just didn't work out but there's um the platypus it's actually been around for a very very long time a photographer came up with the concept um but there's like this whole sort of breed of of journalists technologists you know they they do multiple things and they're known as as, as the platypus because you know it's, it's quite a unique creature I would go back and I would say to that you know younger me who was like oh right okay I'm not conventional maybe I'm doing the wrong thing here like why do people not, not know what to do with me and I'd say to them you're actually not alone just because this group of people don't know what to do with you doesn't mean that you're weird or you're strange or you're being unconventional you're just not necessarily in the right place in terms of people where you might need to be that are experimenting that are being more interdisciplinary that are bringing things into it 
the more that you take ownership of that, the more that you can realize that actually you can bring in other areas. Like, you know, right now, loads of people talk about gamification in journalism. How amazing is that? And, you know, the amazing things that are coming out. The FT has done some brilliant stuff around this. Robin Kwong, you had him not so long ago on the podcast. He's a genius. Like, he is honestly, I really look up to Robin, like, you know, with the, with the ideas that he comes up with. So it's about finding people that are like, journalism is about reporting. It's about telling people what's going on in the world, yeah? But there are different ways of doing it. And it's okay to be a platypus. It's okay to go and find the other platypi. It's okay to go and find the other ones. Yeah, you're going to have times when you're going to sit and cry because, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be as authentic as I can with you. But it's okay to have a cry because it means you actually care about it. And yeah, it's okay to ask for help because you can't do this by yourself. The tone of the year grants us a little bit of time to restock, you know, on what we've achieved over the last year, the skills that we have. And in the new year, we find this dose of motivation. Could you give us some general advice on on how to make use of this time to um, reflect on our careers, reflect on our jobs, reflect on our skill sets and come into the new year with a bit of newfound optimism and motivation? I honestly suggest that everybody write a bio. So often you get asked to send bios for for things, for podcasts or for, you know, uh, for awards or for, you know, random things. Stepping back and, you know, taking some time to write a little mini bio of what you've done and what you'd like to do is not a bad exercise at all. Do you know what I do once a year is I rewrite my LinkedIn bio. See, that's great and productive. And the reason I do that is because it reminds me about the things that I've done over the last year which is what we said earlier on, that we can forget about them or minimise them or mitigate them in some way. And it reminds me to put them in there, the little things that I've come across. I always forget to do it throughout the year. So towards the end, I always do that. See, I think that's that's a really useful tip. Actually, I'm going to take that on board too. It is. It is. Write a little bio. Accept what you've done. You know, and if you're having trouble, go and have like, even if it's a virtual cup of tea with somebody that knows you well and do it with them. You know, do it, do it together. Have a little chat. And be like, okay, actually, do you know what? What have we done that we're proud of? What have I done that I want to, you know, head towards? And I think doing that, you get, you know, two, you get two takes out of it. You get a nice cup of tea. You get to chat with somebody that you you like, and they might come up with ideas that they're like, you know, you've done this bio now. Why don't you do something with it? Have you ever, have you ever found that daunting? Writing a bio. Oh God, I hate it. No, 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 not the bio. The, the connecting with people that might feel a little bit out of your league or something like that um on one hand yes on the other hand what's the worst that's going to happen they just ignore me well then we sort of you know we're not in the status quo doesn't change we should be pretty used to being left on red by this stage let's be honest (laughs) exactly exactly but that's the thing i say that but i've by reaching out to people honestly i've made some of the most amazing friends or mentors and they're not all in the journalism industry, by the way. Um, and I always think you should just aim high. Like, don't annoy people and have a reason. You know, it's not just like, oh, God, you know, you just want to fan girl over somebody or fan uh, fan person over someone. But if you think, do you know what? I think this person's really amazing. Tell them. Do you know what? Actually, can I tell you something? When I'm when people tell I'm not saying I'm not I'm not fishing for compliments here, but I'll tell you something when someone tells me that something I've done is really nice or it's really helped them honestly as I said earlier like I actually feel quite lonely quite a lot of time you know as a writer it really lifts my spirits and 
it makes me realize that actually whatever it is that I'm doing is working and it's nice and and it's nice to hear from people everyone loves to be flattered especially journalists mm. and I would just uh, say at this stage you know I think you're absolutely right that journalists are pretty generous especially with their time even though they occupy very busy jobs people like yourself have given me an hour of their time uh, all year to do podcasts you know um so journalists are accessible and generous with their time and i want to thank you very much for yours today druti thank you so much for speaking to me thank you jacob it's been fun and you know we look i'll be looking forward to seeing what you come up with over the next year <laughs> a refreshing conversation and the big takeaway from today if nothing else is to accept that we can only go so far alone we need cheerleaders to help us overcome our weaknesses and play to our strengths let's be loud and proud in 2023 not arrogant, but confident enough to recognise the role that we play in our teams, the value we bring, and also amplify the good work of others. Journalists are a noisy tribe, and we all have a part to play. To our fans, make yourself known to us next year. I want to hear about the topics and stories you want us to cover on the podcast. I'm on Twitter, at JPG Journalism, and my team at journalism.co.uk, at Journalism News. Alternatively, you can email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. A huge thanks as well to all the guests who spoke to us this year and made the podcast possible. It's proof that journalists are willing to give their limited time to chat about the industry and what's happening in their newsrooms. You can check out all of those episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. We will be back in the new year with more conversations, that I promise you. But until then, I hope you find time to rest and replenish your energy over the festive period. But now, that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas. Until next time. <laughs>